Good morning, and welcome to everyone, everyone. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice M, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Monday. It's December the 5th, 2016, and today we are reading from our big book. We're in the chapter forward to the second edition. We're going to uh, read on page XVII, the very first paragraph, hence the two men set to work. And today's readers are, for the 12 steps of OA, Libby, E, the 12 traditions, Cecilia, H, and our readers for the text today will be Lisa B, Carmela G, and Kathy K. Now, the reference number for yesterday, Sunday, December 4th, 2016, is 9317. That's 9317, and that is a, was a presentation by Esther from Canada on Honest Abstinence, the Beginning of Recovery. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Libby E. to please, pardon me, to please read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. I'm Libby E., Recovered Compulsive Eater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for the opportunity to do service. Pat. And thank you, Libby E. I will now ask Cecilia H. to please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning. This is Cecilia, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity to give service. And thank you, Cecilia H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. And in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Well, today we're going to resume our study in the big book on page XVII, and we're going to ask Lisa B. to please begin reading that first paragraph. 
Good morning. This is Lisa B. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Hence, the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one, a recovered, um, sorry, let me start again. Their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. He never had another drink. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935. There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. Well, what this is saying to me is um, that they're working frantically together because Bill has learned that talking with another, working with another, is going to keep him sober. He's also learned to explain what Dr. Silkworth taught him, that the description of alcoholism and its hopelessness and that we need to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness that they never had before. But, you know, the thing that also stands out for me in this reading is that there were many failures. And that reminds me when I read in Chapter 5 how it works, where it says, at some of these we bought. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. We have to be willing to let go of our old ideas. And often, I know I didn't want to do that. Um, I keep thinking that there's going to be another way to do this. And then the other thing that comes to my mind is when Dr. Bob shares in his story of Dr. Bob's nightmare, he says, If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all and sincerely feel that you must have some help, we know we have an answer for you. It never fails if you go about it with one half the zeal you have been in the habit of showing when you were getting another drink. I need to be willing to let go of all of my other ideas that there's going to be another door, another way. There's just two options, going on to the bitter end and dying or picking up and using these spiritual tools. And that's why there are so many failures because I keep thinking there's going to be another way. And then in this reading, it's telling me that he didn't realize that AA had been formed But it began when the two of them, Dr. Bob and Bill, when one alcoholic was talking with another, that was the beginning of AA. And I think that's all that I have. I pass. And thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, we're going to open up the the, uh, phone for sharing. So who would like to be the first one? This is Larry. Nessa Nessa R. Kim we're going to have okay, Larry K, and then I heard Nessa R, then I heard Kim G, was it Kim G? Yes. Did I hear Kim? Okay, good morning. Kim G, and whom else? Paula, Paula D. D. Yeah, Paula D, I heard, and one more. Nancy H. Nancy H, and then we'll stop there, and then we'll go on after these are finished. Larry K, it's your turn. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. So, you know, our history is perhaps our, our greatest asset, and, and alcohol number three 
um, often referred to as the man on the bed. There was a published uh, picture in a magazine at that time. He was a guy by the name of Bill Dotson, and he was an attorney from Akron. He was hospitalized eight times. The guy had the DTs, you know, delirium tremens, first signs. And at his death, this formerly hopeless drunk had, you know, had not found it necessary to, to have a drink in more than 19 years. In fact, uh, his date of sobriety was the date that uh, he entered Akron's hospital, as we learned, for the, his last detox. That was June 26, 1935. Now, my date of abstinence was not the same day. I, I attended my first OA meeting, I can tell you that. By contrast, here was some of the differences between my experience and Bill Dotson's experience, because I think it's important. Bill Dotson was confronted with the grave nature of his twofold illness, you know, the very clear problem that consisted of a physical allergy and a, and a mental obsession, the double whammy, they call it. I, I was not. I, I heard about food plans. I heard about people's um, problems. I got a chance to talk about my problems. Um, Bill Dotson learned about his, you know, the utter powerlessness in the face of his disease from Bill and Bob. You know, my takeaway from my early meetings um, I went to was, look, keep coming back. Uh, take what you want and leave the rest. Now, that, that's something that was actually said. Take what you want and leave the rest. I left most of it. Uh, took a little bit. Uh, get a sponsor. I did that first meeting. Call three people a day. I called six. Uh, follow, you know, and, and I followed these instructions precisely, and I continue to binge my, my brains out. Um, finally, one thing that's clear, when I, when I study the history of Bill Dotson, Bill and, and Dr. Bob told him precisely what they had done, <clears throat> how they got honest with themselves, how they shared their defects of character and competence with one another, how they had gone out and made amends for harms done, how they had humbly asked God for guidance and protection, and, and of course, how they're, you know, carrying the, you know, they recognized the need to carry the message to, that was, you know, so they, based on what was so graciously given to them, they had to pass it along. So here's the thing. Bill Dotson walked out of that hospital on July 4th, 1935, a free man, never to drink again. And of course, the first AA group was, was formed from that day. So the, the message that we carry, it's the same type of thing. He, the reason he got sober, I believe, is because the clear message of who he was, what his problem was, the clear nature, the grave nature of his illness, and what he had to do to get well. And then, of course, the willingness had to come from him. But if we're not presented with that clearly, you're not going to get well. And you're going to leave or you're going to suffer like, you know, the worst type of suffering as you stay and try to continue to do this. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. All right, Nessa R., it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, there were many failures. Um, this teaches me um, humility as a recovered individual. You know, it's very easy to get on a high and mighty horse and think, you know, uh, I've arrived and I have something to teach you and I'm better than you and I have the power to make you recover. But the truth is that I can be the best sponsor in the world and my sponsees not recover or I can be the worst sponsor in the world and my sponsees do recover. Um, and it teaches me that it's not up to me whether my sponsees recover or, or not. And it's not because of me that they recover or not recovered. Um, you know, my only job 
is to pass on this message. This message contained in this big book um, to tell them what, what I was like, what happened, and what I am like now. And it's up to my sponsees to, to recover or not, to take it or leave it. And that's, that's where the recovery um, happens, where that's where the trick to recovery is in their willingness and the desire um, to, um, to take the message that I'm passing on to them. Like it says in page uh, 58, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. It doesn't say, you know, if you have the best sponsor in the world um, and you do everything that she says, then, you know, you'll recover. It says it, it, it squarely puts the responsibility of recovery on the sponsee. And just like, I mean, I believe I, had an, I have an amazing sponsor, but the responsibility of my recovery was on me uh, and on my doing everything um, that he says in this book, everything that she was teaching me. Likewise, um, my responsibility as a sponsor is only to pass on the message. The responsibility for recovery uh, lies with every individual person. We cannot make a person willing. Only they, they, only they can make um, themselves willing. And as has been said before on this line, you know, willingness is overrated. Overrated. It's in the doing that we get recovered because I can be willing, but maybe I'm not doing anything. And so that's not going to get me recovered. Um, it's in the doing, uh, in the actual practical implementation of these steps. That's why it's called, you know, a practical pro program of action. You know, practical applies to, implies action. And of course, action means doing. So um, I think there's a lot of humility to be learned here. Um, as a sponsor, um, and instructions for me on how to sponsor. And with that, I pass. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you, Nessa R. Well, good morning to you, Kim G. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. You know, I, I want to kind of springboard off of what Nessa was saying. You know, the fact of the matter is wanting this recovery is not enough, and needing this recovery is not enough. And I, too, believe that willingness is overrated because that's not enough. I have to tell you, it's Monday morning. I'm not, I don't feel too willing to go to work, but I'm still going to go to work. You know, I love when I heard in a meeting that willingness without action is fantasy. And I would use willingness as a loophole to say, well, if I'm not willing, I can't do anything. You know, I have to say, I get, a lot of phone calls I get, are from people who are newly sponsoring or sponsoring for a while, and they don't know what to do because their sponsor not be picked up or they're not doing the work. And I always tell them, reread pages 89 and 97. There's very specific instructions what to do when, when that happens. So on page 95, it tells us specifically, if someone is not interested, you know, if they just want you to act as a banker, the way I think about it is they only want me to be their diet buddy and their life coach, what's the instructions? You may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. So I don't want to get in the way of someone's step one experience, which is going to make them desperate so that they can recover. But if they're sincerely interested, I'm not going to push or prod them, because if the, the idea to find God or to find this recovery must come from within. But if they're, if they're sincerely interested, I will do anything to help them recover. And it also tells if he thinks he can do the job in some other way. So if someone doesn't want to do the clear-cut directions in the big book, 
I encourage them to find what will work for them. If you want to use other OA material, maybe some outside OA material or 12 and 12 and OA or the 12 and 12 and AA, I encourage them. If they want to go through a church or a synagogue, I encourage them. Because I don't believe that God is only contained in this first 164 pages. We have no monopoly on God. It's just that I've had this unique experience through the 12 steps, and that's the only thing I can carry. I can't carry a message that I don't have. And I let them know that the book tells me on page 89 that my immunity from drinking is dependent on intensively working with others. They frantically went out and worked with people because they understood that as well. So if you're not re ready to, to intensively work these steps, I need to find someone who is willing to intensively work these steps because I want you to recover, but ultimately, too, I understand my own recovery depends on it. And with that, I pass. Mm. And thank you, Kim G. Well, good morning to you, Paula D. And good morning to you, Janice. And this would be Paula D. in snowy New Hampshire at this moment, and recovered by and with the grace of God. I'd like to read here, and I'll be mindful of the time. Hence, and that means from this place, from this time, source or reason. So let's bring us right here from this time. Two men. Two men who believed in a higher power. But they began to work. And they use the work very, they use, I love when you look behind the words. Not just the words. They began to work. Now, I like this, yes, frantically, but it says almost frantically. There was a different drive there. We know what it is to work frantically. But no, there's something that changes here. I want you to see what changed in the lives. This part, go behind the words, became AA number three. He never had another drink. As the three that we're talking about, do you already see the miracles here? But the thing is, the miracle isn't just for them. That's why this book was written. But I'm going to end very shortly because it's just just reading this and listening to the so many people that have put something there, and I hear the love behind the voices. I hope you do, too. Listen a little more closely. But it says here there were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. One other word, and I will leave with formed. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed. It took a form from the formless, though no one realized it at the time. And this is how we look at page 89. To be helpful at the bottom of the page is our only aim. I try to aim well. With that, I do pass. And I thank you for this time given. And thank you, Paula D. And good morning to you, Nancy H. It's your turn. Good morning. This is Nancy H., uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts, more than grateful. A um, couple things hit me here. One was that this man never drank again. Um, that gives me the hope, even though I hear many times in different rooms, that everybody has a, fit, you know, a relapse sooner or later, and it's, it's expected. And here it's saying that he did not have another relapse because what he did was work 
the steps the way they're outlined here. So that gives me a lot of hope every time I read it. And the other thing that struck me, it kind of goes against the grain, but in those days I can see how they would look at it that way. Um, there were, it says there were many failures, and I used to think that people failed if they didn't do the program and if they, didn't, they weren't ready to accept it. And nowadays um, I look at it in a different way. I look at it that it's not a moral issue. They're not failures until they stop trying, and that, you know, they, they're, what, it, what it is is they're just not ready yet. And if they're not ready, then they need to do some more experimenting so that they can be brought to their knees because this program always brings, you know, the food always brings us down to our knees sooner or later. And a lot of times I'll say to people, you know, once they, they say they're not going to be able to do this, I'll say, you know, just keep trying. Um, you know, if you think another way will work, then try that too. And, you know, don't, um, don't think that this is the only way, but this is the only way I can give to you because this is what happened to me, and I recovered through it. So I'm very grateful that I can look at it that way now and not feel looked down on people because they didn't, you know, they weren't ready. Because there were many times that I wasn't ready either. And, you know, I just, I just kept trying a different way until I got brought down to my knees. So I'm grateful that I could share today, and I thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank you. Okay, thank you, Nancy H. Okay, we're ready for some more. Who whom else would like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to one mute. Who was that? Zen. Zen? Okay, Zen. Kelly S. And Kelly S. And Holland G. And Irini. Anyone else before we go on? All right, let's go with Zen. Please go ahead. Hi. Zen, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic for today. And uh, this is the first time I've been listening to this meeting for so long. And I do dream about the world covered every single night because this is what I want to be. Whereas before, all I wanted to be was to be skinny. Because I thought that was the solution to all my problems. So to focus on the world group. And I, re- I remember the first time I found a face-to-face meeting, I couldn't speak because for the first time of, of my life, I wasn't alone anymore. And without the group, I... I think we lost you, Zen. Are you there? Oh, maybe she will come back, perhaps. All right, let's go to Kelly S. Hey, Janice, this is Kelly S. in Oklahoma, recovered compulsive overeater. Oh, grateful to be on the meeting. So um, well, one of the things I was in this paragraph I liked was what everybody has shared about the, you know, frantically working with other people. Um, for me, this has been a big deal because um, Dr. Bob, you know, I love that Lisa shared that part of the story because that's, a, um, I love Dr. Bob's nightmare. But anyway, um, one of the things I like to remember about his story so much in the earlier in his story, he shared that, you know, for two and a half years, he had a desire to drink, but he, 
he had made a decision to keep the food or the alcohol down, and what kept him sober was working with others, you know, and going out there and frantically working with other people. And he had made that decision, and as Kim had shared, even though um, he may not have wanted to, he did the work anyway, or he wanted to do the work, even though he wanted to drink. So what I think about that is the power there is in working with other people. And, and the reason I say this is because I've been one of those people that, you know, well, it's not always convenient to take calls. It's not always convenient to take more, you know, sponsees or guide people through the book or, or do whatever. But I don't know about you guys, but my disease was never convenient. I mean, it totally took over my life and I let it. I did whatever I had to to get my fix, you know. And so, you know, I know I believe in setting boundaries with, you know, with calls and working with people because I have a family too. But at the same time, this disease robbed me of my family. So, I mean, when Dr. Um, Bob says down here, the part Lisa said, it never fails. If you go about it with half the zeal, you gave your, I gave my disease. You know, it's like he right there says it never fails. And so that's quite a promise that he's willing to give us, you know, and because he did that, you know, that's what worked for him. And I'm not a big history buff in this, but people have shared many times that, you know, he, I mean, it, it was like thousands, countless of people that he worked with. And that's what kept him sober for a long time. And you only have to do half a deal. And I don't know about you guys, I can't even imagine, I couldn't even begin to put down on paper the time and energy I spent with my disease and what it stole from me. So when I think, you know, somebody's calling me and I'm in the middle of something or, you know, oh, this isn't a good time or, you know, I don't have time to do all these, you know, you know working with people or, you know, doing my writing. And, you know, I stayed up all hours of the night. I got up in the middle of the night. You know, I was a night eater. Um, I drove to all kinds of places. I did all kinds of things, spent all kinds of money and, you know, it took me to all kinds of places that I didn't want to be. And so I think about that when I get back to my recovery. And for the first time, you know, in 30 plus years, you know, I have, you know, 22 months, which may not sound like a lot to you guys, but for this compulsive, real compulsive reader who couldn't even put together a year in 30 plus years, because I'm finally doing what the big book instructed me to do. I'm just grateful today that I'm willing to do that and I'm doing it. Grateful to be doing the work today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you, Kelly S. Uh, before we go on, did, is Zen, did she get back on online? Zen, are you there? No, I guess not. Okay, good morning to you. Holland G. It's your turn. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service to all of Team Monday. Thank you for your service. Let's take a look at this paragraph for just a second and put it in its historical content. Let's take a look and let's go back to 1848 in Baltimore, Maryland. Six drunks at a bar form a group called the Washingtonians. And the Washingtonians were a very highly successful group with a meteoric rise of treating alcoholism by having you sign a temperance pledge and joining their group and paying your dues and getting embroiled in outside enterprises like should slavery be okay or not okay? Should Texas be admitted to the union as a slave state or a free state and on and on and on? And none of them stayed sober. And after a meteoric rise, they faded away. 1888, Quaker minister in Pennsylvania named Dr. Graham develops a cracker 
Dr. Graham and his cracker were loaded with B12 vitamins because Dr. Graham believed that the alcoholic lacked B12. And he believed that this would be a cure for alcoholism and masturbation, which he felt was another evil on our society. And of course, no one stayed sober. Beginning of the 20th century, there are snake oil salesmen and hucksters and all kinds of shysters peddling narishkeit. Narishkeit is a Yiddish word for foolishness. Peddling mishigas and narishkeit to people that were a sure cure for alcoholism. And of course, nobody stayed sober. 1935, Dr. Bob days sober from June the 10th to June 26th, 16 days of sobriety, and he's already doing 12-step work. 16 days in, he's visiting Dr., or excuse me, Bill Dotson at Akron City Hospital. July 4th, as was stated, Dotson is released from Akron City Hospital, and he stayed sober for the rest of his life. Something free, something simple, worked. It was a miracle. Nobody had to buy anything. Nobody had to do anything but the steps. Nobody had to do anything but dedicate their life and their will over to the care and direction of their higher power. And it worked. Yes, there was Ernie Galbraith who failed. Yes, there were many of them that failed. But as much as any, as much as Bill Wilson Dr. Bob and, of course, Bill Dotson, alcoholic number three, proved that this could work. And with that, I'll pass. What a miracle. Thanks. That is so interesting. Thank you, Holland G. And funny. Uh, Irini, it's good morning to you. It's your turn. <laughs> Thank you, Janice. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit. The credit is due. So Bill and Bob here, from being disconnected, they got connected, and there lies the answer. Having that connection, being plugged in with each other, soul to soul, heart to heart, there was love, there was light, and there was purity there. Through that connection, when we are connected with each other, we are connected with God because God, as he resides in you, he resides in me. So their sobriety depended on each other. And how is that possible without God? They were doing God's will, and they became as God would have them be. They found something that worked, they had the answer and the way out, and they were carrying the solution because they were the solution. They were walking in the solution. And now with the third one recovered immediately and never had another drink, another miracle. The third of them, the three of them, on a mission, they were carrying a message of hope. They were carrying the gift to pass it on. And God was carrying them. And so be it. This book is divinely inspired and written to become the gift and continue to pass that gift forward. The message of hope, 
the message of God, which my favorite page is page 55. God made these things possible. That's what it says here. We found the great reality deep down within us. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Arini. Um, This is Janice. I'm just going to take a couple of minutes here. Um, to, I don't know what I can add. However, um, I want to just take a look at the word frantically and desperate. Um, you know, frantically, I don't know about you, but boy, was I frantic to get my food. You know, I can remember one time when I was eating and, and one group, uh, one um, diet group said, you know, we have um, ice cream up in another state. And boy, did I desire that. And I frantically took the trip to the other state to get the ice cream or whatever it was. So, you know, so frantically as, as a, as a, you know, compulsive overeater, that was my desire. That was my desire. Cause I, I did, I, I went to any lengths to get the food, but you see, this is how the sponsee has to be desperate. And this is how we have to be as a recovered compulsive overeater. We have to be desperate and, 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 and frantic to work with another person. This, this is the message that I get. And, you know, if you notice that Bill, Bill W. and Bob, they didn't tell Bill Dobson what to do or what's wrong with him. You know, what they did is, you know, they just told them about themselves. They just gave their own experience. They weren't preaching. You know, and I get it all the time. How do you know when you're desperate? Well, I can just tell you how I knew when I was desperate. I was desperate a lot of times. But it wasn't until I knew that I could not fix my problems no matter what food plan I had, no matter what sponsor I had, uh, no matter what meeting I went to, whatever method I tried. I knew I was powerless. I knew, and I think this is what happened with Bill Dobson. You know, he, he knew that, you know, they gave him the message, the, the, the problem but it has to come from me. I knew that I couldn't control and have no more options to try anything else because there was nothing left for me to try. So that's how I knew that I was, I was desperate. And I'm just as desperate and frantic today to bring this, this message to another compulsive overeater who suffers. And uh, it works. You know, it really does. And with that, I'm going to pass. Um, I think we're going to go on. Uh, to the next paragraph, and I believe it is Camella. And uh, Camella G. will be commenting and reading on page XVII, paragraph 2. Go ahead, Camella. Thank you, Janice. This is Carmela G. from New York, a gratefully recovered compulsive OV. A second small group promptly took shape at New York to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York, who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. And boy, the dark world 
What turns the light on in our world? We need to keep that connection open with our higher power because if we work the program, put the substance down, work the program, we can have the light shine and that connection is not. I must say it's funny that I'm reading this paragraph this morning. It's no coincidence, and it's no coincidence that I relocated to this area of Manhattan either that I didn't even know existed. Um, And um, I joined in my senior years an OA program and then asked my AA fellows if I could go to some of their big book and step study, study meetings because one of the men that formed a meeting I was privileged to attend his memorial service. He recently died. His his uh, story is in the book. His name was Phil D. And to sit in this room next to men, oh, they were elderly gentlemen, and I felt just the connection because they knew what it was about. From the depths, from the darkness, They were brought into the light, and Phil D.'s favorite statement used to be, life is going to happen. Just think of life and program as two sets of railroad tracks. They are never to cross over and connect. You must work your program to keep that light shining, and life will happen. And you, because you're working the program, will be able to move on because picking up the substance doesn't fix it. So that is what I had the privilege to learn from one of these fellows who began, Phil began the first downtown meeting in the city of New York, and I was privileged to be in their company. And for that, I am grateful. And thank you all for allowing me to share and all your shares. Thank you very much. I pass. And thank you, Carmela G. Okay, who would like to comment on the, the second paragraph on page XVII? Sarah W. Judy F. Okay, we have Sarah W. And what is it, Judy S? Judy S? Yes. Okay, and who's after Judy? Finn. More than Okay, Zen, you're back. Good. And then there's Mara Z. Yes. Okay. All right, let's go with those if we can get them all in. Sarah W., please go ahead. Good morning, Janice. Thank you for your service today. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Uh, it's, um, there's a lot of history here that we're talking about, and um, I was thinking about the history that we are making today, all of us. Um, you know, many of us have started meetings and, and done a lot of um, 12-step work uh, trying to um, pass on what we've been so beautifully given by other people. And I know I live in a town of 5,500, and um, I started a meeting a little bit over a year ago. And at the, at the beginning of the meeting, um, we did a group conscience, and there were a lot of alcoholics coming in from the other program, and um, they did not want the big book. 
and I kind of bided my time. And I think that's an important thing to really be patient with people. Uh, we can we can share the um, the travesty and the uh, the destruction of what this disease can do with people, but sometimes they aren't ready. And you know, I don't want to spoil a chance later that that could be um, helpful. So here we are a year later and we're in the big book, reading it paragraph by paragraph. And there are about between six and eight of us each day, uh, of each um, each meeting. And I was thinking about the word hope. I like to say I step a lot of times in the morning. I'll go through all the steps, but I start by saying I'm powerless over food, alcohol, everything, you know, people, places, and things, and my life is unmanageable. And I've come to believe that I can, will, and am being restored to sanity. And I was thinking about that when we were talking about the hope. You know, um, it's always darkest before the storm, uh, after, you know, before the storm, but then there's a beautiful rainbow that comes out. And, you know, I remember somebody speaking on the line once about, you know, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And just the other week I found that in a... Uh, in a um, in a framed, beautiful framed uh, picture. And I thought, wow, you know, that, that's exactly really what it is about. Um, and that's what we get to do in recovery. You know, life still hits us, as was stated by the person prior to me. I mean, there's many things that we all go through in recovery that can be very difficult. Uh, but food is not an option to, um, to inebriate myself, to run away from whatever life is bringing me. As a matter of fact, what I can say is that the program brings me the sanity that I can have peace within the storm. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Hi. Janet, um, would you unmute, please? Hello. I guess <laughs> I'm talking. I'm sorry. Just a reminder, we're on XVII, paragraph two, and it's Judy S. It's your turn. Thank you, Janice. This is Judy S. from upstate New York, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I listen to this meeting every morning that I can, <clears throat> and I, I'm just so grateful for... Um, for the work that I have to do, I have to work really hard to stay connected to my higher power and to others in this program. And, oh boy, I don't like doing it. I'm not willing. But what I know is that, you know, they talk about that new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. And that new light, you know, that's, that's the solution and the hope that I have today. The hope that I have when I'm working with um, sponsees, and you know, I I I hope that they they you know can be desperate enough to to get through the steps and to to do the work, you know. And I I can't make anybody do the work. I can't I can't judge them or 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 have them. You know, I, I can't compare. You know, when I compare, it's me judging. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so um, also in this paragraph and talking about the history, the local history in our 
our area and our city here, um, we, you know, when I came in, OA had been around for, uh, I know, over 20 years in this city. And and there were, you know, like four meetings a week. And for, for a city this size, that was a lot of meetings. But they, some of them just sort of drifted away. And the ones that are really strong now are the, the big book meetings. And, and there were enough of us that then went, you know, let's follow this format here. Let's study the directions in the big book and read one paragraph at a time. And it's beautiful um, what I've seen happen, you know. Um, I've seen that new light in people's eyes, you know. There's, there's certain people in the rooms that I just remember when they first came in and they were, it was dark, you know. They were miserable, and now they have this new light, and they're passing it on. And so reading the history here is just so beautiful. And, um, again, I'm so grateful. Thank you, and with that, I pass. And thank you, Judy S. Okay, welcome back. Zen, it's your turn. Zen, star one to unmute. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you now, Zen. Yes, please go ahead. Thank you. Sorry about that. So I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater from London in the UK, but I'm French at the beginning. And uh, I know OA because they created all these groups, the small groups, but only one person is good enough, you know. And I'm, I feel so blessed that I found the groups and OA and AA for me, this is like um, the light in the fog, the thick fog I was living in. And I felt so desperate because when I stopped eating, I could not start. And when I start eating, I could not stop. And people were telling me, but you look so healthy. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with me is that I have a spiritual malady that I have to cure daily. And um, this program is a blessing. This spiritual malady is a blessing because I'm willing to live now a spiritual life. And um, I'm very grateful to my sponsor and to all the shares. I leave it there. Thank you. And thank you so much. Zen, what is the first initial of your last name? B. I'm sorry? B, like butterfly. Oh, that's a nice letter. Okay, B, like butterfly. Thank you, Zen. Okay. Okay, Mara Z, please, it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning, Janice. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Janice, and for all the incredible shares this morning. Mara Z recovered in Virginia, and I'm going to focus on the same phrase. A new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. I had gone to my first OA meeting, April 4th, 1999, and it was a new light. It was an incredibly mind-blowing, eye-opening experience to me, Um, and I sat there crying for the first half hour. Um, And I've never felt more at home and more welcomed to be just as I was at that moment. And that was a new light. 
But sometimes the light fades and I take my will back as I've done many times over the last 16, 17 years, whatever it is. Um, And that light fades and it gets cloudy. And when I was introduced to um, an OA How meeting and group, that light brightened again. And it stayed bright for many years until it started to fade. And the one thing that was a common denominator between those ways of working the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous was that I wasn't really working the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous. And that's what caused the light to fade. And when I was blessed to be introduced to um, a Vision for You meeting um, and all of the people here, um, again, the light brightened. And the light has flickered from time to time, but it has never faded. And when it flickers, it's because I'm working my will and not God's will. And as I continue to connect stronger and better with my higher power, that light gets stronger and stronger and sustains itself and continues to brighten and allows me then to share it and spread a little bit of that lightness into other people's lives. And when they recover, it's almost as if I've gotten a boost in the arm because they are now spreading the message as well. And it is an honor and a privilege to spread this message and to live in the light one day at a time. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Mara Z. Okay, we have a couple of minutes. Who would like to take that? Anybody like to comment on what was just read? This is uh, B in Detroit. Okay, I heard somebody that took it is from Detroit. I didn't get the first name. This is Russ Ann B. Russ Ann B? Russ Ann B, that's right. Please go ahead. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being on the line, for uh, being part of this journey with me and uh, doing service to all those who are listening. Um, I am so grateful for my disease because my disease brought me to my knees and brought me to the point of surrender where I can now uh, reach for my higher power and for the fellowship of this group to live life in an entirely different way. I believe that my personality has been changed and I've had a spiritual transformation. I just want to, again, express my gratitude, and with that, I pass. I'm sorry. I was muting, and I'm muting. Are you... Did you say pass? I did say pass. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. It is that time. So I want to thank everyone who shared and those that are just listening. And and so if you wish to please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We are now we are now going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Will Kathy Kay please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. 
Thank you, Janice, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.